Welcome to Appetite and Adventure, and also Adam just ranting with Adam Zickery. Okay, how's it going, everybody? I'm back. Um, I've treated this podcast thing kind of like my dating life, where uh, <clears throat> I am super excited for the first two weeks. I'm super into it, and then about two weeks in, I'm like, I'm good. And then, uh, you know, I I go do whatever for about a month, and then from then on, I just show up for the uh, for the good stuff once a month. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to record another podcast. I don't know it's been just eating, eating at me, biting my soul uh, so much yesterday, so much so that yesterday I decided to cut my thumb off. Um, and what I did was I okay. I was working uh, at a house somewhere, and okay, I hate angle grinders. Angle grinders are like my least favorite tool. I honestly don't mind any tool. I, you know, I got no problem running a chainsaw, blah, blah, blah. Not exactly. <clears throat> Not exactly a psychopath with them either. Like, I go to some construction sites and I see like guys with power tools, and I'm just like, holy shit, or guys with chainsaws, actually, most mostly. Where I'm just like, oh my god, how do you still have both legs? Um, and uh, so anyways, I'm at this house yesterday, and I don't like using angle grinders. I'm already super cautious with them, and especially when they don't have a guard on them. And everybody takes a guard off them uh, because it's just infinitely easier to work. But there's two things about not having the guard on there that I really don't like. Uh, number one is the fact that if... If your fingers get too close, it'll, like, just slice it off. If the wheel spins at 12,000 RPM. But the other thing is this, like, not irrational, but not exactly common occurrence of the blade just blowing up. Because those blades are made of, like, some sort of composite graphite material or something. And so it it's not solid. And they're very flimsy uh, if you try to bend them, but at this like, or brittle, sorry, but at these high speeds, they, um, <clears throat> and, the, and, you know, with the pressure in the right direction, those like cut through metal. Anyways, <clears throat> I see it. I see it has no guard on it, but I got to cut some nails off. I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to, uh, go ahead and do that. So I take the angle grinder and I, uh, have it plugged into the wall and I'm trying to press the on button, and it's not turning on. And I'm like, oh, it must be the must be the plug or something. And this thing has a like trigger on it that if you slide it in a certain direction, it like locks into place and stays running. Um, and so uh, it won't work. I turn it off, unplug it, plug it into something else, and I turn it back on, and it's not, it's not operating i'm like what the fuck is going on with this thing and for a split second i relaxed and all of a sudden like you know 10 seconds after i turned it on it goes and just starts spinning at full speed 12,500 rpm or whatever it does and it and it surprised me and uh and it popped out of my hand because of the jerk um from it just all of a sudden kicking into high gear. And 
it popped out of my hand, and then it came down and landed fucking blade into my hand, spinning that fast, and then the, like, I already was aware that it was about to happen, so the instant it touched me, I, like, moved to kind of, like, push it away from me, and holy shit, okay, about a minute before I grabbed the angle grinder, I was like, oh, where's my gloves, and... I went and grabbed a pair of gloves. My hands are sweating telling this story. Um, that's how that's how crazy it was. I literally have wet hands telling this story. So, um, I a minute before I turned on the angle grinder, I went looking for my gloves, and I only have a pair of gloves that I used to use for plumbing when I was doing my starting my apprenticeship in the winter, um, where uh, they're like thick work gloves. They're like insulated work gloves. And those were the only ones I had with me. I couldn't find my other work gloves. Um, and so I went to put them on, but they're also, like, tight on my hands. Like, I don't like taking them on and off because they're, like, warm, but they're also, like, really tight and hard to slide over my hand. So anyways, I see these gloves, and I'm like, uh, uh yeah, it's an angle grinder. I'll fucking, I'll put my gloves on. And for whatever reason, I grabbed the winter gloves that are, like, three times thicker than the, uh, you know, they got more layers. So anyways, I don't know what series of events led me to want to put on those gloves, get the angle around or have this happen. Anyways, when that blade touched the glove, it sliced through the glove so fucking fast and then immediately sliced into my hand. But <clears throat> because I reacted so quickly, it didn't I, I, I looked at my hand and immediately thought like, oh, my God, I just lost my fucking hand. Like that was that was my thought process, because I I saw that it had broken through the glove and that it had done something to my hand, and meanwhile the thing is like skipping around on the floor, still running at full speed, like hopping over electrical cords. So I managed to turn it off and um, stop it, and then I look at my hand and I'm just waiting for blood to come like gushing out and for my hand to just like split wide open and it never did it burned it burned like this the skin on my hand and left like today it's actually quite sore like my whole hand just from like I think it was just from like how tense my hand got afterwards but um yeah it just burned my kind of like that fat chunk of my thumb and wow I just can't believe that happened that was insane um anyways yeah so uh, I wanted to do a little recording because uh, because I haven't done one in a while, and I you, it's funny. I wonder why I'm doing the podcast. And at first, it was like kind of funny. I pumped out a bunch because I I guess I had a lot to say at the time. And then when I relook at those, they're like quite. I, I was very like bitter about my relationship with my government job, and rightfully so. But it came across as, like, really negative. And um, I don't know. I just uh, I, I wasn't sure why. After a couple of weeks, I wasn't sure why I was doing the podcast. I did some interesting stories. But then I realized I, I just I just kind of like talking. Uh, I think anybody who knows me well knows that. So, um, yeah, I just think that, uh, I don't know, I guess my I just wanted to get on here and talk. Well, funny, um, a friend of mine who I grew up with, randomly called me like he had texted me something and like asked for my phone number 
and then just calls me out of the blue one day. I've been talking to him and like, well, I can tell you exactly when the last time I spoke to him was, was like six years ago, the last time I went to Ontario to visit like my hometown. And um, he happened to go the same week that I was out there. And so me and him just hung out the whole time because we, 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 we didn't communicate outside of there it's not like he and i were uh buddy like well we always buddies but like we weren't we weren't out west like hanging out like he's in vancouver area vancouver island area i'm <clears throat> i'm uh in alberta so anyways he calls me out of the blue and he knew me and my family quite well and the first thing he said he's like bro you got to do a story about captain rafat okay now for anybody who doesn't actually, like, who doesn't know me from when I grew up in Ontario, um, Captain Rafat is a character from my life. Let's put it that way. Essentially what happened was uh, in high school I played a lot of sports and stuff, just like all, you know, the crowd of friends that I grew up with. Um, but I excelled at soccer quite a bit, and I played it in an extracurricular way, like outside of school, um, all the time. And okay. Some of the story is going to be a little bit hard to understand if you don't, if you never knew me as a kid, just because of the nature of how things actually were. But essentially what happened was, um, at, I don't know, 14 years old or so. I mean, I, 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 I definitely displayed some potential at soccer. The, the, I didn't know where it was going to head or whatever, but I, I I definitely displayed some potential. Let's put it that way. And I guess my dad thought the same thing. I don't remember when this actually became a thing, to be honest, like what sparked the situation. But at some point in time, I'm guessing around the time I was like 14 or maybe maybe 15 years old, um, my dad thought that I showed so much potential in soccer that... Uh, I warranted extra invest. He wanted he wanted to invest more into it for me. Uh, I know I'm being a little bit confusing here, but I want to be careful with the words that I use because some things sound like um you know overbearing parents in some ways it is, but uh, but I never thought that this aspect of my life involved any negativity or like ill will or anything like that from anybody. But anyways, so I'm just trying to be careful with the words that I use. Um, because I feel like people use words without actually understanding their meaning or the impact that it can have on somebody. And I, I'm actually, I'm sidetracking a little bit, but people use words so flippantly without understanding the application of that actual word and, um, anyways, so, uh, around the time of like 14 or 15 years old, I don't know what sparked the situation, but this older man from Egypt showed up in my life. And I don't remember the first, I think I first met him when I was in Egypt and, uh, we were me and my dad, probably, it's probably me and my dad and my little brother, I'm guessing went to Egypt. Uh, we went numerous times when we were kids, but uh, we went to Egypt, and I would go train at the soccer club in the city 
I think it was in Cairo, and the, Cairo has two major soccer teams, like two successful uh, soccer teams uh, in the African League, uh, and their names are Al Ahli and Zamalek. And I, he, I think he used to take me to one of those clubs uh, for like a week or something. I can't remember. Like it was very like this is such a long time ago, and I was introduced to this coach, like a soccer coach from Egypt. Then I come back home to Ontario, and like a week later, this guy shows up in Ontario. And from then on, he lived with me for a year and a half. So essentially, my dad got this soccer trainer from Egypt over to Canada, gave him a place to live in our house, and he lived with us, and every day was soccer. Soccer, soccer, soccer. I woke up, it was soccer, then I went to school. While I was at school, I was thinking about how I was going to play soccer afterwards. I would go play soccer afterwards. This guy would come to... I used to play for, like, the regional team, then the provincial t- team, then, um, what was it? Uh, and I would play for this... Eventually, I would end up playing for this team that, like, uh, y- you know, was a really high, high-level team in Canada. Um, but along the way there, this guy, this guy would constantly be there helping out with, like, coaching with the teams and stuff. Like, he, w- he was a very legit, intense like soccer coach with uh, deep knowledge behind him. Um, he spoke no English. His name was Captain. We, we just called him Captain Rafat. I don't know. I don't even know what his name. I just know him as Captain Rafat. It's like saying like, you've known this guy for like years and all you know him by is Sergeant Dave or like, you know, uh, big boss. I, I don't know. Like whatever. Anyways, I only knew this guy as Captain Rafat and Everything was about soccer. Like, I would come home from school, and I think maybe I was a little bit harsh, and like it caused some resentment between me and my little brother because I got so intense into soccer and so intense, and it like, oh my god, like you don't even get it. You'll never understand how intense uh, I would get as a teenager. Um, especially with it went from like soccer to eventually like just straight up anger and like you know, frustration and skateboarding and vandalism and uh, partying. Oh, my God, some of the dumb shit. But that's later down the road. So um, Captain Rafat would, like, run these drills with, like, me and my brother. We'd practice on our own. But it was it was definitely, like, um, it, it, it was very intense and intensive. Like, we would, oh, wow, okay, I just remembered something. Um, so I, I used to play for this team in Ottawa, that was like uh, a pretty good team in Ottawa, but like it was at the lower levels. And this is when Captain Rafat sh- first showed up. And the team was comprised mostly of like um, Muslim immigrants from different backgrounds because my dad is from Egypt and he's Muslim and he had connections in the Ottawa, in Ottawa. Even though he lived outside the city, he had connections in the city. And, um, you know, when I started playing in the city, this was one of the first teams I played for. And it was a bunch of fucking crazy motherfuckers like okay so half the team was like made of like serbian and kosovo guys from kosovo who had just immigrated because there was like the serbian kosovo conflict uh yugoslavia sorry um and uh there there was a big disparity in those countries between muslims and i think christians or something and and there was a lot of war going on this is in like the late 90s when the well, the, the the war was going on through through the '90s, um, so this must have been like early 2000s that I was uh, 
<clears throat> meeting these guys, but there was this one guy, uh, his name's Mirza, and <laughs> fucking, I remember we were at this soccer game. We're like playing against like just other, you know, whoever you played soccer with growing up, but I was like on this team of like misfit psychos, and uh, what was it one time some kid on the other team pulled Mirza's ear when you're like in a wall? And I remember Mirza freaked out so bad he tried to start a fight with the kid. Then he ran off the field, got the first aid kit, and pulled the scissors out of the first aid kit. Like, the game got canceled because of him. He pulled the scissors out of the first aid kit and started chasing the kid around with scissors on the field. And then his dad, who's like a fucking commando from the Serbian army... um, like, starts fighting with one of the other parents. Dude, shit went fucking down. And, uh, you know, it was just chaos in the field. The referee just walked off the field. He's like, I'm not fucking doing this. So we, you know, uh, Captain Rafat was there for some pretty pretty hilarious experiences. Um, uh, so, anyways, uh, I used to play with uh, this, AC, we call ourselves, like, AC Fiorentina, which is, like, uh, a famous European team and we like copied the jerseys and everything full full ghetto style like didn't come up with anything on our own just stole jerseys and the name from an Italian team pretty sure it was Italian and uh, and then tried to murder people in the field um, there was another guy on the team named Julian oh fuck he was hilarious he was from Colombia um, I used to call him Loco Moco um, cause I didn't understand any Spanish back then. And then he told me later one day that it was, uh, that loco moco means like crazy booger, uh, man, just insanely funny. They tried to, so my dad, okay. So captain Rafat would, would coach all of us along with the rest of the, along with the coaches on the team. And I remember my dad invited them cause we had like this big house. My dad owned, my parents owned property that, they had multiple pieces of property and one of them was like this big like 14 bedroom house that uh we would invite the soccer teams out so they could practice in Carlton place which is like a much quieter smaller area it's kind of like a little retreat getaway so they would come out for a week so these guys at AC Fiorentina all these psychopaths <laughs> come over to my house for like a week in the summertime to do some training camp and uh, I remember they would get into fist fights. Like, like, dude, I did, I was not like a fist fighting dude in school. Like, it just was not. I got into a couple, but it wasn't definitely not my day to day. These guys, it was like every day. They're like, "Yo, you looking at my fucking sandwich wrong?" And then they fucking just throw down and like, "Oh, yo, bro, those shorts are too short. I'm I rep blood," and like, like gang shit. Fucking just so funny. And they've gotten into a fist fight in my backyard. Um, and then one day we all walked downtown and they tr- they tried to just start fights with dudes downtown. Like just a huge gang of us. There's like 20 of us. I, you know, I felt so awkward too because I live in the town. I'm just some fucking kid and like, oh, so hilarious. But I went from this AC Fiorentina team to, uh, oh, where did I go to next? I think I played for the Nepean Hotspurs next. And uh, my boy Phil uh, also played for the Nepean Hotspurs. Um, and what's even crazy is when I played for the Nepean Hotspurs, we had these two coaches. The one coach I won't name because I don't want to, like, you know, conflate him with the other guy. But the other guy was this Swiss guy. And I remember he – I remember. I remember how, um, you know, both coaches were really good. The Nepean Hotspurs had a really good uh, strong team. Um, but this other guy, 
uh, it turns out like years after I played with them, um, that it turns out this other guy was like the Swiss coach and he got charged with like sexually abusing some of the kids that he trained because he would do weird things like clamp alligator clips to their nipples for like pain tolerance training and like just and they were like hardcore coaches you could tell they were like you know you have to be like a weird person but not like that weird that was just like ugh. anyways um but i found that out like years after i finished playing soccer i was like a news article in the ottawa citizen about a soccer coach and i'm like reading i'm like holy shit that's the dude that i played with for like a, a year at the nepean hotspurs um and then from there i played I started playing in Canada, which is like in between um, Carleton Place and and downtown Ottawa. And when I was playing, Canada had some really good teams uh, and some really good coaches. We had this one guy, Kingsley, who was like this like English Jamaican, like he was from England, but he was like Jamaican and, uh, you know, very cool, chic kind of guy, like really good style, but he ended up disappearing into thin air one day. I remember that. Um, but more so I played, I ended up playing with the Ontario, with this team in out of Canada. Um, but that was actually like a team that played in the Ontario provincial league. So essentially like the U, I think it was the U 18 and I was, I was 16 years old at this time. Oh my God. I just remembered some things. So hilarious. Okay. So I was 16 years old at the time. It was the U18 team. Um, cause I was playing a year up, uh, with some of the bigger guys. And, um, I, on that team, it was like half like Jamaican and Haitian dudes. Cause this team is comprised of like people from all over the province. So it's not, it's not like all of these people are from where we train. Like there's a, there was a guy named Lyndon or London or something like that. Some like tall like six foot four skinny Haitian or Jamaican dude um who immigrated over here with his family and he's in high school and I remember like he got kicked (laughs) he got kicked out of school for like bringing a gun to school and like somebody else like just just hilarious like shit that's just like what the fuck (laughs) um but like amazing athletes like that dude could literally run like a 10.5 second hundred meter. Like he was fast as fuck. And, um, you know, we had all these and some really cool dudes too. Like, uh, I I loved it on that team. The coaches, the coach was this little Jamaican dude. If you guys ever watch the show Oz, he looks just like Burr Redding from, from the show Oz, this like little Jamaican dude with freckles all over old bearded. He used to wear a Kappa tracksuit and like these Kappa, um, basketball boots. I didn't know Kappa made basketball shit, but like these Kappa like basketball shoes, and they were way they looked way too big for him because he was like five feet tall, and they were just these huge like chunky shoes. Anyways, um, yeah, I used to play for this team, and uh, Captain Rafat would help out with this team too. Like he would come and like coach with us and stuff. Uh, but I remember one. This is around the time I first started smoking. Like the I smoked weed for the first time with a few friends in Carlton place, like Tyler Uden and Liam Wright. And who the fuck else is there? There was somebody else there. Um, but we all got stoned in the room upstairs. But other than that, like I started smoking weed with the provincial soccer team. And what we would do is 
Oh my God. I remember it so clearly. And I was such a fucking idiot back then. Like I'm hanging out with all these dudes who live a completely different life than me. I'm like, I'm the honky white kid, um, coming from the country and everybody else is like inner city, like fucking cornrows and dreadlocks and shit. And fucking there's just, I definitely stuck out like a sore thumb. I was the odd one out on the team. And I remember we would go, we we would travel to like Markham or Orangeville or whatever and play these teams in different spots in Ontario. So we'd have to get a hotel for the weekend. And I, uh, we would, we would go out into the hotel parking lot. I remember one night we went out into the hotel parking lot of like a Sheraton or a Hilton and a big group of us, like 10 of us just got fucking ripped, like, like smoked huge fat joints. I started freestyle rapping in front of all these guys. And, uh, oh my God, I remember I said something. What did I say? I was like, I, I said some like fucking hilarious rap, like that is totally not me. Uh, probably about banging gats or something like that. And fucking just sent everybody laughing. Like, oh my God, it was so funny. I wish that shit was recorded. Um, but yeah, we would get super, I remember this night we got super ripped in the parking lot. I'm like freestyle rapping for everybody talking about how loco I am. And then we go back into the hotel and we're all chilling in the hotel room. And, um, one of the guy's dads who was a coach on the team came in and he's like, got like, there's like 12 or 15 of us in the, in the room at this point, we're all sitting there on the beds and couch and shit talking. Uh, this dude walks in, I think his name was Neil. He walks in. And he's got a box of ice cream sandwiches. And I just remember being so ripped in the entire room. Everybody's sitting there with like licking their lips while he's giving us some speech about our game tomorrow. And fucking everybody's bloodshot. And he's like, all right, guys, I'll leave you with this treat. And just drops a box of ice cream sandwiches in front of us. Oh, my God. That was so funny. Um, but, yeah. Oh, holy cow. I, I completely – and it's funny. Like, I completely push out certain aspects of my life that like, I just don't remember, you know, I don't remember until someone reminds me. So Graham reminded me of Crapton were fat. And then that sent me down this rabbit hole of, uh, you know, of, of memories that like, I almost completely blanked out. And I don't even know, like, I don't remember my experience with Captain Rafat being uh, negative at any point. Like I like pushing myself and this was like beyond pushing yourself for a 15 year old kid this is like you know you it's almost like uh you know you get put into a program and for i want to say it was like over a, a it's got to be a, a couple years of uh training with him at least and uh, that's what it feels like at least uh you know it's hard because 15 years ago or 20 years ago you conflate um memories uh but uh, yeah. And he was a funny old dude. Uh, I don't know where he is or what happened to him. He would co I, th he was still like coaching at a club in Egypt. Cause I think we went back and visited him after he went back to Egypt. I think I honestly can't remember. Um, but yeah, it was just such an odd experience and upbringing in my life. But I, you know, I'm going to be honest. I kind of am thankful for it because it like instilled a certain level of like desire to train like I can do two days it's you know five days a week 
uh, for training and that's not an issue as well as like working a job and all that stuff. Like those kinds of things I think go a long way. So I don't really, <clears throat> and I rebelled in my own way. As soon as I decided, like after that year of playing with the provincial team with all these other dudes, um, like really fucking talented dudes, uh, you know, some of these guys had serious potential and, uh, of making, of making like a career out of soccer. Uh, I have no idea where anybody ended up, but, um, you know, definitely, uh, it, it was an elite, uh, group of people, but yeah, it just made me much more, uh, comfortable with the idea of like, you know, having a certain level of work ethic. And I rebelled in my own ways. I went, and as soon as I came off the team, I started smoking, uh, more weed and skateboarding. I got tattooed. I quit doing intelligent things and I started doing dumb things. Uh, so, you know, I really put it to him. I was like, Hey, you know, this is, uh, this is my life. So I'm going to ruin it myself. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I, I have not ruined my life. Although it's funny cause I was getting shit from somebody and you know, they were giving me shit. Like, you don't know what it's like to do this. You don't know what it's like to do that suggesting that I don't know what it's like to have, um, you know, serious responsibility. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't have those things by choice. It's not like I'm an incapable of having responsibility and uh, commitment. I just don't have these things on purpose. But I sit there all the time wondering if the choices I make are intelligent or if I should be making those choices or or if I'm living my life the right way. But then I, occasionally, I remember it was really distinct a couple of weeks ago, I, I have these like epiphanies where I'm like, there is no right or wrong way to live your life. I mean, there's there's ways that will make your life later down the road more comfortable or easier. Um, but there is no, I mean, it could be nihilistic in a sense uh, that I'm saying it like this, but you know, um, it, it really doesn't matter in the end. Like, especially, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to stay away from subjects that are like touchy right now, just cause I don't, uh, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but, um, you know, it's funny. My mom made a good point. My mom's a nurse and, uh, cause the other day I was, I was listening to the radio on my way to work and on the radio, they're like, doctors are saying that the lifting the current restrictions could lead to a fourth wave of COVID. And I'm, my reaction is just like, get the fuck out of here. Like at some point in time, we got to fucking move on. Like, and I, and, and the truth is, is if the vaccine wasn't available to, you know, almost everybody, then I can understand the apprehension, but the vaccine is now available to just about everybody. And, it's on you now to just go get it. Like, this is just a personal responsibility issue at this point. Uh, there is no need to shut things down. It's it's ridiculous. It's living, it's literal total fear-mongering. I hate to talk about this subject because I fucking hate this subject. And I'm sure everybody does. But the truth is, at some point in time, it becomes a re personal responsibility issue. And we all move on with life. I'm not going to not see my friends. I'm not going to not train. I'm not going to not touch other people. Like, it's fucking nuts. And nobody fucking cares. Like, especially here. Everybody is just ready to go back to their lives. Does that mean you just cough on people and wipe your hands on people's faces that you don't know? Obviously not. Like, you 
we learn some stuff from this. We take extra precautions for certain things. But at the end of the day, it's like, oh, God, I fucking hate this subject. Oh. Anyways, my mom said something, you know, because I brought this up. We were just talking on the phone because she lives in Costa Rica. And she was talking about how she hears in the news that our situation here in uh, Canada is some of the toughest in the world in terms of dealing with this. And, uh, you know, part of that is just media stuff. Who knows what goes on in other countries? I'm sure it's not great to be in a, in a overtly non-democratic country that just makes you do things by force. Um, but she's like, you know, it's kind of crazy that we, that we espouse this idea that we're doing this for the good of people when we still haven't provided clean drinking water to indigenous communities in this country like get real it's so obviously biased and um you know it's it's infuriate it's it, what, what the most infuriating part to me is that people don't see through the politicians and the media it's like you know they say they're doing this for our good and they say they're doing this for you know our health i'm not going to go into the whole like they don't talk about nutrition and exercise and stuff it's true they don't they don't mention it. They don't mention how important it is to just take care of yourself and take care of your body and be able to have a resilient body and a resilient immune system to help deal with things. Um, but more what I want, like they say it's, it's so it's for the benefit of those that get the benefit. Not everybody gets the benefit of good health care when they don't have clean drinking water. So this idea that we do these things to help protect people well, maybe we should be investing these resources and this time and this level of effort and concern into getting people who very, very much so deserve not just more respect, but deserve the basics of what everybody else in the country has. How to, And when she said this to me, it was a little bit profound because I'm like, you know, I haven't thought about it like that. I never thought about it in that exact way. So thank you for that. Because <clears throat> it just exposes what I already know. I know that the media is biased. I know that our government is is biased. I like these are not secrets to me. They weren't secrets before COVID. This is this isn't even conspiracy thinking. Like anybody that that is under the impression that the government is there to do what's best for you is unfortunately, in my opinion, misguided in the way they are seeing things. Like, and and this is just point and proof. Like, you, you want to talk about, um, you know, you want to talk about uh, doing things for the good of people. Let's talk about it. Why don't we... Why don't we spend all these money and resources getting clean water to these communities? Why don't we spend all this money and resources into getting people help that they that they need? <clears throat> getting them education. Like, uh, it's so insanely frustrating. It's hard to formulate. I, I, I apologize. I'm a little bit stoned right now. It's Saturday morning. It's my only day off this week. I almost cut my hand off yesterday. I just bought a new truck. I had to get stoned this morning and drink some coffee. So I'm a little bit stoned right now. So it's hard for me to formulate a coherent and in-depth discussion about this. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I just, I just had to, I had to be emotional about it for a second because 
that just infuriates me so much. The level of hypocrisy and lying and the fact that people don't, I I don't know if people don't see it or if people are so exhausted and just want to deal with their own life that they don't want to see it. Or if they, you know, genuinely think that, that fucking politicians are there for your good. I think about it logically, like to get that far and to get to a point where people are voting for you, you need to be either unique and have unique ideas. Somebody like, uh, I'm totally going off in the left field, but somebody like Bernie Sanders, somebody who has been for 50 years doing the same thing, espousing ideas of like equality and acceptance and, and fairness for people. Because let's face it, the fucking system is rigged. If you don't think the system is rigged, you're not paying attention. Like that's, it's not even, this, this isn't like hard to understand. This is not a secret. Okay. It's obvious that the system's rigged. Um, and that sounds like so conspiracy like, or whatever you want to call it, but it's not, it's, it's the truth. People get to positions in life because they want something so badly, whether it's, you want to genuinely change things, which I would say there are the occasional politician who wants to do that. Or if you also just want a job that could lead to being extremely lucrative and maybe affecting an industry that you're invested in. If you're, if you're from, if your family's from the oil industry, you don't think these guys get their kids into politics as they grow up and stuff like, like, Oh, um, when I'm not stoned, I'll do another breakdown on this because it'll be a lot easier for me to formulate my ideas. I just get so emotional when I think about this. Um, because to me, it's so obvious and it has been so obvious forever. Uh, and I think it's part of studying like human nature. Like I really enjoy psychology. I took psychology in when I had my brief career in university. Um, and I've always enjoyed like the psychology of people and what drives people. And at the end of the day, what's most important to people, most people, not everybody is themselves and the outcome for them and their experience. So anyways, ugh. So frustrating on a, on a psychological note though, I know, uh, if you're anything like me, you enjoy watching, uh, like psychological breakdowns and stuff on YouTube, like, uh, like criminal psychology. Let's just be honest. Criminal psychology. You know, we all love watching people getting, uh, torn apart and police interrogations and stuff like that. And it's pretty crazy. Like to be a successful interrogator requires so much skill and knowledge of, and nuance with your words and in the process of breaking somebody down to and making themselves open themselves up my favorite channel on YouTube I hate that he only releases a video like once every 3 months um but this guy will drop a video like once every 90 days or something and it's just epic he does like a perfect breakdown of how the police break down there and he'll do it on like famous subjects or like he'll just break down it's not necessarily always a police interrogation it's maybe the psychology behind a crime, but it's called JCS-criminal psychology. And it's just this dude who breaks down the psychology of why they're saying things a certain way, why they're asking questions a certain way, why the person reacted this way to this. They have one on like the Nicholas Cruz guy who's a school shooter. They have one, uh, he's got a bunch. He's got one on this guy, War Machine, who is this MMA fighter who lost his marbles and beat the shit out of his porn star girlfriend to the point where she almost died. Um, it's just really interesting psychological videos and, uh, it's right at my alley. But anyways, um, 
here, let me just, I'm going to go grab something quickly uh, because I would like to just see if I'm, uh, I'll be, you know what, I'll be right back. Alrighty. Uh, okay, so I just wanted to go grab my notebook here, but then I remembered what I was going to say. <clears throat> okay, first of all, before I talk about this, I bought a new truck yesterday. Um, well, it's not a new truck. It's from 1987. It's a 1987 Ford F-150 4x4 Lariat with 160,000 kilometers and fucking lift kit and a bunch of other shit. It is incredibly redneck. Uh, am I mad about that? Not at all. I, I thoroughly enjoy um, a little bit of redneck in my life, but also uh it's hilarious it's got two stickers on the back one is going one is staying the one that's going it's up on the window up top and it says let the ndp bastards freeze in the dark with a drum of oil okay kind of funny but uh not really uh so that one's getting scraped off probably immediately after i finished recording this but the other one is going to stay it says eat cow drill oil rope calves welcome to alberta yeah, I don't really do, I mean, I do, I do one of those things at least. I mean, hopefully, I applied for a job this year <clears throat> uh, working on a ranch, uh, roping cattle, and during the calving season, um, but uh, I never got a call back, unfortunately. I I wish I did. Um, But... Uh, yeah, that sticker's going to stay because it's sweet. And the truck is honestly like a badass truck. It had the nice trim package for the year. It had like the top-of-the-line trim package. The thing's been left in like immaculate condition. It's got some rust on the back of it, but the interior is just like... It's also like a couch, like a plush velvet couch. No back seat, nothing. Just the front bench, and that's the truck. And then you have an eight-foot box behind you. It's a bit rusty on the back end, but uh, I might, depending on my financial situation here replace that uh back end um we'll see i don't know i'm pretty excited though uh it was funny though immediately when i got the truck and i started driving it i could feel my penis getting smaller uh haha i got a few of those jokes when i posted a picture of the truck um but it's true my 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 penis immediately got smaller after buying and driving this truck and it's still getting smaller actually i'm reverse pinocchio in the pants um what else here? Uh, yeah, right. I had something written down here that I wanted to mention, and I almost forgot about it. But then I didn't forget about it, and I reminded myself. Uh, coaching. Specific instructions versus vague instructions. I remember my first jiu-jitsu coach uh, gave me advice, or he gave us all advice, uh, about why he coaches the way he does and why he says things the way he does. And it was about being specific. And then it revealed, then it, then it, and then the putting was into practice. Uh, when we would go to tournaments, we would be very successful on our team. And my jiu-jitsu coach was very specific in the words that he used when he was dictating to an athlete what to do. And he would train you to listen because there is a bit of a weird thing where people want to do things on their own and they don't listen to people when they're in competition. But it's a strength to be able to not only be in an intense situation like a grappling match, but also while at the same time be able to multitask and listen and look at your coach. I can, if I have a coach and I'm in an MMA fight, I can, I can hear them on the sidelines and I can hear them telling me exactly what to do. And it's the same thing with Brian Bird in Calgary, who's an MMA coach who I have trained with in the past. 
Um, hopefully very soon I'll be able to go back again uh, with these COVID list restrictions lifting. Um, but And he coaches extremely successful fighters. Uh, he's got two guys on the UFC roster uh, right now. And um, his instructions, just like Peter Trombley's, are very specific. If you're on your back with your face getting smushed into the cage and the guy's putting pressure on you, you know, he will speak to you and say, Adam, I need you to put your right leg on his hip and push his hip back. I want you to turn, turn, get up, okay? He's not just saying, go, go, get him, get him. But you listen to other coaches and you hear it all the time or you hear nothing, which is equally as bad. But the, the strength of having uh, very specific instructions uh, is, is essentially like having two people in a fight with you. And uh, <clears throat> it gives you... Not just the advantage of being able to multitask, but the advantage of being aware of what's going on. Being aware is extremely important, especially if it's a real-life situation. Now, if it's if it's a sport, it's like, all right, yes, you're aware, but you're also only dealing with one person. If it's a real-life situation, you might be dealing with more than one person. Um, so it helps you improve your ability to be aware of your surroundings and what's going on around you. Uh, and I can't remember what... Oh, it was about me coaching. So me coaching at the club, and I would be training with people and you know i'd say i need you to put your right hand on their wrist and i want you to turn their wrist so that their thumb is pointing this way and then and and you can see people do it in their head and then do it in practice and it be successful you know before the last lockdown i was able to do private one-on-one training and there was one guy where he was totally green um, he's only come to three or four sessions, but because they're private sessions, he gets all the attention. So for an hour, he's getting a fully in-depth, like, corrective lesson in 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 how to how to do the basics. And then on the last day before we had to go back into lockdown, um, I did a bit of work with him, and you could see the look on his face. I would tell him to make an adjustment, and he would make that adjustment, and he would he would be able to notice and see right away what an improvement it was immediately. And it's kind of gratifying to not only uh, be able to coach, but to also be able to see what a distinct change you can make in somebody's demeanor or somebody's frame of mind. Or, I mean, even potentially in people's self-esteem. I mean, for sure, I don't like saying things like, you know, jujitsu saved my life, um, even though it popped up in my Facebook memories from like seven years ago. But I'd prefer to say that it's made me much more confident in who I am. You know, and like I was talking about earlier about getting shit from somebody about uh, the decisions that I make, I sit up all the time and wonder if I'm doing the right thing. But then at the end of the day, I realize that, you know, regardless, I'm living my own life and, and I don't owe it to anybody to explain my decisions to them or whatever. And my decisions aren't hurting anybody. I just, you know, at the end of the day, I just fucking love jujitsu and choking people. I love training. And now I love coaching. Uh, I think I'm going to have Travis uh, probably do a podcast with me soon. Um, and we're going to talk about some stuff. But because um, Travis has coached me and Travis is the owner of the club here. And he is really like um, mentally invested in the whole process. So uh, maybe I'll talk to him next. But yeah, it was just funny. I, I remember thinking about that a few weeks ago and uh, and how much 
uh, you know, how nice it was that, um, that, uh, we're able to train. So, uh, one second here. I'm, uh, I'm going to call that a day, uh, because, uh, well, I'm just tired and I don't really, I don't really watch what I eat anymore. That's right. I don't watch what I eat. Thank you, George. Um, so I'm going to go have another coffee, uh, brush my teeth and go for a jog. Anyways, uh, I hope you guys have a good day. Thank you for listening. Please share, uh, if you don't mind, cause it would just, uh, help. So I didn't